Hey everybody, this is Rick Overton, and you're listening to Overview on the Sideshow Network on iTunes. And uh, guys, I got an old pal with me this week. Perhaps one of my oldest pals in all of Paldom. When I came out to California over 30 years ago, this is the guy whose pad I crashed at. Now don't date us, Rick. (laughs) It's a little late for that, Gramps. (laughs) We... Oh, we, yeah. uh, we're, uh, we, we started out in comedy and hit the comedy scene together, and uh, this man has been in countless movies. You will look him up on IMDb and see for yourself. He is a filmmaker, a writer, an actor, and comedian, an all-around artist, and uh, brilliant performer. Fantastic. Go to YouTube and check him out. Greg Travis, thanks for being on Overview, man. Hey, thank you, Rick Overton. Long time buddy, old pal, old buddy, old pal, old buddy, old pal. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Jeez, remember the old days, what comedy used to be like when there were more gigs than comics? There were. There was the Florida gigs, and uh, you came out. Uh, to do Young Doctors in Love, you crashed on my sofa when I was living at the apartment. <laughs> Genesee. Yeah, right, <laughs> right off, off Melrose. Melrose. <laughs> when remember, Melrose wasn't even a big deal, they Melrose built it while you were like there. Melrose was like kosher delis and hardware stores <laughs> yeah. in like 1982. Yeah. And then they put a flips in there, and then everything just exploded from there. Yeah, everything had those pastel... Miami Vice colors and or weird fifties Atomic Cafe angle signs and right, everything. Right, and, and, and Johnny the, Rockets goes up. And, right, yeah. and the new the new furniture stores. There was everything was plastic, black, red, or gray or white. Yeah, yeah Atomic Cafe furniture yeah. made of vinyl that was highly overpriced crap <laughs> yeah. that disintegrated as soon as you sat on it. Oh yeah, those were the <laughs> days, the eighties. Yeah, the eighties. Uh, when uh, the oyster was wide open. It was. And the comedy was uh, a new thing. So we were sort of like young rock stars coming up. I mean, it was a whole new deal, uh, you know, with the explosion of the comedy clubs all over the country. Being on the crest of that wave yeah. and riding it all through the 80s and 90s was a lot of fun. Like, you ever seen that gag shot when they have, like, 10 tennis ball launch machines all aimed just off camera at the person on the other side of the oh, net. right, right. That's what gigs were like back then. <laughs> the, like, all at once, you could only hit two or three at a time, you know? Like the Blues Brothers scene where they put the chicken <laughs> wire bottles in front of the off. stage yeah. and chicken and bottles are being thrown the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, there's a few of those gigs. Uh, the early days, you would play strip joints. Right. And, uh, tell you me know. some strip joint stories. All right, I'll tell you one good one. I was in Anchorage, Alaska. I yeah, had a buddy PJs. that was PJs. <laughs> and this was like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday gig. You'd go back on Sunday night just completely exhausted. Yeah, that's right. Uh, some guy in the middle of my set like stood up and said, I love this comedy shit. I want to see some girls. God damn it. Where the, where's the pussy? <laughs> And he had a gun in his hand, Alaska. <laughs> and he fired a round off right there. Yeah. Boom! And a bunch of people left, and a bunch of people, everybody got really quiet. So the bouncer, Lavier or Lanier, came over to him. It was this big black guy with a leather jacket. Yeah. He just whispered something in his ear. The guy got up, left immediately. And later I asked him, I said, Lanier, what did you say to the guy? Oh, hell, man, I just said, if I, if you don't get up and get on out of here, you'll never be allowed in here again. So that was it. That was the only place to go 
in Anchorage, Alaska. So right. he didn't want to give up his, uh, you know, his club membership. <laughs> right, right. So you you've been through a lot of non-comedic setup places that were just doing one night out of the week that they decide tonight's a comedy night and we slightly modify everything to draw a crowd in because that's how hot comedy is they'll go see it at a non-comedy place yeah in the early days and then as my comedy career was kind of tapering off i would do a lot of one-nighters in various clubs around southern california northern california and in the early days there was a lot of rock and roll clubs so i got to open for a lot of really cool rock bands joe cocker and you know at the Golden What's a cocker Bear? crowd like when you got to warm up a cocker crowd? And this is what year now? This is like 83, 84? Yeah, early, mid-80s. Yeah, early 80s. Yeah, 82, 83. So yeah. he's, you know, 20 years past Woodstock. And yeah, well, you know, Nick Nolte was, uh, I was there opening for some band and Nick Nolte was backstage. And uh, and so we went and did uh, you know a little tootski together back in my no, dressing room. You, you oh yeah, Nulty? I did blow what? with Nick Nolte. Oh, yeah, I was just that. thinking about that the other night. He goes, "Where can we go?" And I was like, "Well, I got a dressing room right back here." You know, oh, so yeah, I hadn't been out of the house in about three months. The old lady had to drag me out tonight. <laughs> he was a mess too, boy. Yeah, he's he's better now. Yeah, he's all yeah. seems to be all tidied up. Yeah, now, yeah, you know. Well, he's old. He's well, like, and he got the DUI, and I think yeah. it's probably the different different way of doing a day. Oh, uh, so God, you know, you're pals with a lot of uh, very interesting and wonderful actors. You've gotten to work with them and hung out. And remember, we used to hang out with uh, Ron Perlman all the time. Ron Perlman and Everett McGill. Everett Was McGill from uh, Quest for Fire, guys. Right? Yeah. yeah. They uh, they love to come down to the comedy scene, right? And John Goodman was at one of my parties. That's right. Yeah, when uh, back in the early days. Yeah, I had some great parties on that Melrose place. That was a great party pad, yeah. man. Oh, the splatter room, the splatter room, and the yeah. yeah, we had a big balcony and the big living room that. Opened. And your neighbors were cool, so the noise neighbors were cool. There was a lot of comedians. Robert Schimmel lived downstairs from me, and his okay. brother was below me. Right. And then um, yeah, so we had a lot of comedians coming and going out of that place. It was a lot of fun. That's the truth. Yeah, it was kind of a it was kind of a uh, you know a tight knit communal crowd back in the eighties with comics and everything, and then in the nineties, uh, you know, I got a little bit of heat in the early nineties as a stand up and uh, opened for Cher and Tom Jones and did some big tours with them, and then um, what? Really describe the difference when you how you time out. And I've done some too, but I want to hear your yeah. take on it. Uh, when you have to face a huge crowd that looks yeah. like they're all the way to the edge of the the curved horizon. Yeah, There's some of those amphitheaters are anywhere from like. Uh, What's the biggest room, crowd you ever played? I think it was a hockey arena. <laughs> was about twenty thousand. Jesus, I don't know if it for was, who. Those for share. For I don't. Sure. It was back east in some upstate New York place. You know, you wake up in your coffin-sized sleeper on the bus. Right, you're on the, the tour. The bus is parked in the back of the, 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 the stadium. So you get out of there. You don't know where you are. You, you're not seeing any kind of night or day. You don't know what time it is. Right. And uh, then you just kind of wander around and figure things out and then go out there. Yeah, it's a slower pace. Even though you have to deliver it the same way to get the laugh, you space out between the lines a lot longer 
because the laughter goes all the way to the back of the room and then it comes all the way back. And you got to wait or you jumped your laugh with a new line and they don't hear the line because they're all they hear in the middle of it is a wave of laugh going over their ears. And even the Rolling Stones have to do that when they work the big concerts. You notice their music on when they film those concerts, it seems slow. It seems like it's time. They have to deal with the bounce. They kind of like slow it down. And everything is spaced out a little bit, I think. I think yeah. so. Yeah. To deal with echo. Yeah. Wow, that's really... I would deal with the space of the, the room. Yeah, but you're dealing yeah. with it's bouncing back right, at you. Right, right, right. Otherwise, it sounds like you're saying everything twice. Exactly. Yeah, which some people do. But uh, you have a... Uh, you definitely have a huge... Huge IMDb for film and TV. Work, well, man. it's you know coming along. I mean, I uh, I'm, I'm sure you have just as many as I do, but uh, one way or the other. Yeah, it just uh, you know that was our first love is acting, and uh, we did stand up as a sort of uh, way to get there, and uh, you know love comedy, love being funny, love doing it, and it was great training. I don't think you could have asked for better acting training than to be on stage every night, literally doing a one man play. You know. Every, well, that's one way to look every at it, night isn't it? of the week, yeah. I mean, it's acting training. You're really you're having to get the emotional response from the audience every night, do or die, and uh, that's what acting's all about. And I mean, it's a lot subtler form of film acting, but it's uh, it's basically the same muscles, you know, just a little different technique. When you do, you remember your first film part that was not a film you made. But a film part you got, you booked it here, right. and you got it, yeah. and what you felt like, and because you, as a filmmaker, you were making your own stuff. Uh-huh. How much of what you did on your stuff in school transferred to, oh, it's, this is just another version of that, and how much is, oh my God, this is brand new? Right. Well, I tell you, the first four or five roles that I got were like small roles, and you know, I did a Roger Corman film, and then I did a few other little roles. Piranha, right? The one, yeah. No, uh, humanoids it? from the deep. Humanoids yeah, from yeah. the deep, right? But the right. one really the original. Yeah, the one <laughs> film that I thought I really, you know, sort of got there and was real excited about. I got this little part in a movie called Paradise, and I was playing this sort of bad dad, roller skater dad, long lost father of this little girl, and so I got to do a scene with her where she comes to see who I am, and I. I meet her, but I don't acknowledge her that, you know, we're together or that I'm her dad. And, and so it was a really nice little dramatic scene and it, it really came out great in the movie. And so, you know, I thought, wow, this is real acting. This is what I really want to do. This is what I'm, you know, meant to sort of do. And so that was like my first, what I consider to be real part. You know, the other stuff was sort of like comedies, craziness. You know, horror movie stuff. You know, all that kind of stuff, which is real acting, but you know what I mean. It's I not. I mean, it it's not. The same, it's not same quality. It's not, it's not quality work. Yeah, it, 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 it's its own quality, and it's a genre quality. You can yeah. be quality for what it's supposed to be, and you, if you go past it and start doing Merchant Ivory work in one of those horror films, it goes, "What the hell? What movie yeah, do you think yeah. you're but on?" You know, you know what I mean? I mean, it's to do a studio film and to uh, you know have all the whistles and bells and to be able to do the good work and and those kinds of movies. It's rare; you, those don't come up that often. Yeah, it's mostly the journeyman's work of the other kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were uh, Verhoeven loves you. Paul Verhoeven loves Greg Travis. <laughs> 
I don't know if I could go that far, but we get along pretty good, and I think he likes my work, so bit a couple of his films and yeah movies. i love when you're watching you get ripped in half and starship troopers as the reporter on the bug it's a bug planet you call it <laughs> a bug planet <laughs> and they uh they had me on a big giant um like bolted in to the jaws of the bug on that and so the me- mechanism is this guy's there's a it? robot there's a robot mechanism that's like got just two big bug jaws and then i'm bolted in on it and it's like an industrial welder arm kind of thing swinging you back and And forth with it guy's got a toggle he can work it right and there's like two or three controllers on a table out in front of me and they're all working it all of a sudden stop whoa shit what what happened what they almost rammed my head into the brick into the the rock wall of the rock face the the big rock formation Wyoming, Casper, Wyoming. Wyoming. Casper's yeah, all those hills and this like big, huge rock formation pit. Oh yeah, and, uh, it looked like Missouri breaks a little bit, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so they didn't tell me what was going on. They just took me down and <laughs> you know gave me a rest, and then we finished it up later. And they told you later, and then later at the rap party, the the guy was drunk. And he came up to me. He goes, "Yeah, man, we almost killed you. What? We almost rammed your head into that rock formation while we were doing that, dude. Isn't that funny?" <laughs> <laughs> and Verhoeven kept telling him to shake it harder. Well, when he did it, when we did some of that, we did some of that scene when he was there, and then some of it was second unit. So this happened when Wasn't we were doing second you, unit. Unit. Were you there? Well, that was yeah, no, it was all, all me. Your body and yeah, those all of it was my body. Before. Yeah, and then the CGI except breaks the, you in half. Except the breaking in half is CGI. Yeah, right, right, that's right. 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 Yeah, and, and so they you. actually made a body for me. Did you sit in the mold? And, and all I that? sat in the mold yeah, right. and did that whole thing. They were going to do it for real, a practical. And uh, for some reason, come along to the point. Yeah, for some reason, 90, they ended uh, up doing the CGI version of it. It's like ninety seven, right? Yeah, yeah. By then, they had other stuff figured out. And they had to put little little light. Um, fixtures everywhere around all the stuff to measure where the bugs were going to be. So whenever you were doing a scene with a giant bug, it would just be nothing but little light fixture things that they were going to match up. I call it uh, run away from the tennis ball. Yeah, yeah. It's always a tennis ball tennis with an ball, X. It's yeah. just an eye line. Look yeah. at that. I know in uh, Willow we had to uh, right. look at lots of X's of tape and yeah. pretend it was Val Kilmer or whoever. Right. Then or you Warwick. get two actors looking at two different spots. Right. And, you know, if you look close, there's like one's looking over there. One's oh, especially with special effects, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. You didn't go look at the tennis ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've yeah. done some effects stuff. A little bit. Yeah, it's a, a lot. You are a horror king, man. I've done a few little horror movies, yeah. Worked with Toby Hooper a couple of times and Rob Zombie in Halloween 2. And yeah, a bunch of little small ones as well. They're a lot of fun. You can kind of have the freedom to create characters and do something crazy and do something wild. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh, you you not only have uh, been in horror films, you shot a, an upcoming classic. I did a... Uh, a movie a long time ago in black and white called Dark Seduction, and um, we shot it in black and white 16 millimeter, 
and it never got finished. It got lost for a while. I got some of the elements got misplaced, and it's a long, long story. But anyway, and it's a big tongue in cheek. It's a tongue in cheek sort of Russ Myers meets John Waters meets the most grindhouse grindhouse John Houston. You know, yeah, right. I mean, it's got a lot of grindhouse feel. Yeah, and a little bit of Orson Welles in there to boot. You know. Who was my big hero, and um, and so it's very film noir, and it's it's about two women vampires who are terrorizing Hollywood, and they go from one character to a next, and then there's a detective named Dick Jones, played by Tyler Horn, who is after them and uh, on their trail, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's a it's a, hopefully going to be a cult classic. We're still finishing it up, and uh, how long is it? How's, what's what's it coming in at now? About eighty-one, eighty-two minutes. That's it, man. Yeah. You move it like a bullet train. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's hard cutting. How do you cut sometimes when oh. you love a scene, man? Is that you? Do you this do, was do the you hardest have... edit I've ever had to yeah, do in my so life. Great, I mean, I well, you know, we started it being about the women vampires, and then I I fell in love with the detective, so I kept going back and writing more stuff for the detective and shooting more scenes for him, and then it just that that made the editing even that much more difficult but it actually has come together quite nicely so so look you make a dvd you can have the deleted scenes right no no there won't be any deleted scenes <laughs> you're cutting all the fat out and you're dumping the fat in the yeah trash, that's huh? yeah it's no it's not worth doing that <laughs> actually everything is pretty much there i just compress it and you know edit it down and there's a few things that i had to cut totally out but not that much everything's pretty much there yeah yeah yeah. Uh, we we you uh did these things and i participated in the travis videos back in the 80s they're becoming kind of a phenomenon so a lot of the comedy you were coming up with was so out there but it's more like you see a, a more common use of that kind of humor now we just were experimenting with the medium they had come out with those personal uh, panasonic cameras and so i'd been making super 8 films before that so to me it was so much easier to do a, a VHS, VHS recorder recorder yeah right we had a VHS recorder with a on sticks with a VHS camera and uh you know the Panasonic low light cameras so you didn't need a lot of lighting and uh, right. a little bit but not a lot right, right, right. and uh good depth yeah and then they had the editing system so we could edit them just like a proper film and right. uh yeah they were fun we did a lot of comedies. We did uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf parody called Who's Afraid Now. Mm-hmm. We did um, a fine line of Charlie James. We did uh, 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 what was the one with oh, Donald and, uh, uh, Noon Chuck. Noon Bat Noon Bat uh, uh, <laughs> Ultra Dopes on Punk was the yeah, name Ultra of that. Ultra Dopes on Punk. Uh, Jeez, what was that? Like nineteen eighty or something. Yeah, yeah. What was the name of that one we did with Stacy and you? Uh, uh, the last date, the final date, the uh, the last date, the yeah, last date, date which was last. a it was my Hitchcock. Uh, it was a comedy, but it was also kind of experimental with Hitchcock. Sort right, of right, with Stacy Travis, yeah. who you my know, sister, character yeah. actor folks uh, will know. Yeah, absolutely. And so you guys were in most of them, and uh, yeah, all through the eighties, we did the just to keep up the film chops, to keep experimenting with comedy, and to keep uh, you know keep trying to learn as a filmmaker. You know, and that never so, stops, does it? No, never. What are you doing differently now than you would have done, say, ten years ago? Well, What's I know than the way you're shooting. I know and more about. I know more about pacing. I know more about structure. I know more about editing now, uh, just from doing it all a long time over the years. And I know more how to tell a story. In the short form, it's not as important to tell the story because you've just got a 
a short amount of time. But in the long form, it's extremely important that you hit certain beats and that you have a line of tension and that you want to know what's going to happen at the end. And so with my new film, Midlife, I've tried to take all of my knowledge and all of my filmmaking um, likes, dislikes, and throw them into a mixed bag called Midlife, which is now available on iTunes and Indie Rain and uh, DVD and all sorts of places. And this is your uh, tour de force. It is. It is. I wrote it, directed it, and uh, produced, co-produced it. I did have a, a co-producer. And um, what did you shoot on? We shot on the uh, the Mark III 5D, which is the uh, state of the art Mark uh, 5D at the time. Uh, oh, what what could you get that for the weekend, or would you get it on a weekend? How many days in a row would you get it for? I think it came as a package with the DP. He owned the camera, so. Oh, thank along. God for that! Right. Yeah. 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 And I had wanted to work with that camera, but because I had I'd done a little bit with it earlier, and I just really really liked it. But uh, yeah, it worked out well. Looks good. I yeah. saw it. Yeah. Yeah, it looks great. very good, and the HD, the Blu-ray looks fantastic. It's still not exactly. I mean, I put grain on it. I, I color correct it to try to get the film look it's not exactly the film look but it's pretty pretty dang close you know, it's as close as you can get with digital you know uh film look has come a long way because film look was always like a veneer that looked like it was a laminate put over the screen yeah now it looks like it found its own depth and works its way to the back of the shot. They figured out to reduce the pixel rate in depth, you know? Well, actually, it's more pixels. Um, but I mean, reduce what it looks like. Yeah. yeah. It takes more With the red pixels camera, to do it to show right. depth. If you light it right, the red and the Alexa, you can get pretty close to film. It looks pretty much like film. I've been fooled a few times, but... Uh, and that's also how you light. You have to light in these more. Yeah, well, I mean, like, if you layers, look at right? Boyhood, there's something solid about the film image. Like, because they shot Boy Boyhood on 35 millimeter because the time frame and the 12 years it took them to shoot it. And it was the technology had to yeah. stay the same as when you started exactly. shooting. Exactly, everything had to stay the same in case right. you know something went wrong, or the technology changed. That they what so they should, started. It should look like one movie. Yeah, exactly, and it's just. I mean, even though it's pretty plainly lit and it's pretty brightly lit. It's still, there's something solid about a film image. There's something that gives it a base, a weight, a firmness yeah. that the transparency of a digital image just doesn't have. You feel like you can stick your hand through a digital image. You know? Well, people say it feels more like you're real and you're there, but a movie isn't always supposed to feel real like you're there. It's supposed to be another place. It's supposed to be a painting. Right, you can't be in the painting, right? Place. Yeah, you're yeah, creating yeah. another reality, and, and, and in order to create that reality, you want as firm of a real look as possible. You want That's a, the balancing act, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that is the balancing act, and uh, yeah, and there's nothing to beat film. I mean, the you know, David Fincher still shoots film because he says, "Well, you only replace a medium when another technology is better." And so he considers it, and so does Tarantino, digital not as good as film still. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty much lost its, uh, you know, its, its, its clout with most directors. But if I had a chance in the budget to use even super 16 millimeter, I would do it because I believe in it that much. You know? Yeah, yeah. And what was... Now what was DS shot on? 
The uh, Dark Seduction was shot on 16 millimeter black and white 16 negative. Yeah, 16 millimeter. Yeah. Right. I yeah. saw the size. And it looks this. fantastic. It looks yeah. great. Blows up. I just corrected the picture. You know where you have to adjust each shot for the exposure and make sure it's all even and make sure it's all beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, adjusting film is just so much easier because you've got so much more information to work with. As long as it's not overexposed and there's still all the information, you can make it look like a pristine. Brand new, pristine shot. We did a 4K transfer of it, but I don't want to bore you with all. Well, no, you know what? I'm uh, some films. I don't mind a little chicken scratch and a pop and a thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I, kind of part of it's uh, now. It's part of the charm of like hearing a needle on a record with all the crackles and the mm-hmm. ticks and all that. You know? mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah, I've part still of got the instrumentation. I mean, with DS, I've still got a little dust that I could not get rid of because the film. Can you can you digitally paint out hairs and gates now and I stuff like that? Big splotches, and I've done a little bit of that. I'm gonna go through it again and try to correct as much of that as I can. But like you say, it's supposed to be an old '40s film, so right. a little bit of the dust is okay. Yeah, I mean, have you seen? Oh, by the way, that's another film look overlay. Is that sci-fi channels yeah, using this yeah. grindhouse with you know lens flares and uh, light leaks mm-hmm. and bad cuts and pops and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, and they they have perfected the old 1970s grindhouse movie look, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, with the, the the pop on a cut yeah, yeah. with the scotch tape cut. Pop, yeah. Mm, uh, yeah, I'm trying to. I want to try to get it going as a cult movie. I think it'd make a great midnight movie, and uh, so I'm going to look into uh, different possibilities of theaters that might be interested in doing that. And there's still a few in L.A., and I'm sure there's some in New York. And yeah, some there's a lot of comedians you put in there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Mark Robert Schimmel, Goldstein, Mark Goldstein, Julie Brown, uh, you, uh, um, who else was in there? Uh, myself and uh, of course lead and uh yeah and tyler horn's tyler a, comic. a comic yeah absolutely and uh there was a couple other comics that played side characters uh, ricky j or billy j billy j billy j he's one of the hoods up there yeah, doing and, the interrogation right and, or is a comic and yeah. who's the voice actor joe alasky is yeah. in it joe alasky sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. did uh, all the animation stuff for mm-hmm. warners for a while yeah yeah Great. he took over for mel blank yeah Oh, well, that's a prestigious thing, man. Yeah. You got to be good to take over from Mel. No kidding. Yeah, he was good too. Yeah, yeah. what I was doing. I haven't talked to Joe in a while. Yeah, but anyway, this midlife movie is the one that I have out now, and uh, it's at midlifemovie.com dot com, and uh, on iTunes and um, Indie Rain, and uh, hopefully we'll get it on a bunch of others. So midlife, check it out. Uh, will you ever sell a compilation of the Travis videos? You know, some people have talked to me about that, and uh, I've got enough shorts that I could add it as a DVD and uh, put together a bunch of the uh, the old videos. Yeah, and I might do that. Date, but show the date you were doing yeah, it, because it yeah. was pretty, pretty out there stuff for the, the era you were doing it. Sure. You know, there wasn't yeah. anything around like it. Now there is, but not then. Oh, yeah. I know. No, we oh, were uh, way ahead of our time, and there used to be a place called Easy TV up on Santa Monica, Thanks. and we would have these shows... And invite all of our friends to watch the videos and, uh, you know, have little... Uh, when Dennis Miller came by, he was in tears. He yeah. was doubled at some of the stuff, yeah. the harsher stuff, you know. Uh-huh. And Bud and Alex were there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we had a lot of... And I would have them at different uh, art showings along with some of my paintings. I would have uh, video showings. Each time we'd make a, a good one, we'd want to do another show and then put some of the others as part of the package together with it. But... Uh, 
One of my favorite roles you ever played is when you're driving on Mulholland for David Lynch. Oh, yeah, yeah, in Lost Highways. Lost Highways in Logia. You swerve around him, and so he pulls you over. And, and just, I shoot him off. I shoot him the bird. You <laughs> flip him off. as so he pulls you over. He says, you flipped off the Godfather, <laughs> and he's pistol whipping you while you're begging for your life. It's like, as an actor, oh, you motherfucker, that's well, a dream role. You're begging for your life from Logia. And oh, he's yelling. Son of a bitch. <laughs> he's yelling at the top of his lungs yeah. at me while he's, like, you know, shaking me and everything. What a great and, thing. And the first take and then david goes i can't hear you robert i don't even know if you're angry or not oh my god crazy with anger robert you gotta really be crazy with anger that sounds like Lynch. <laughs> and so robert was jesus christ i'm exhausted from the first take well yeah you know, and i go i really like that thing where you look out into space while you're yelling at me he looked out you know like out into the cosmos yeah. You know, God for the yeah. bag of like yelling at him for you, right? Yeah, he just looks up and starts yelling. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you guys so, kind of became pals after that a little bit. A little right? bit. A little I mean, bit. you know how it is. You work with somebody, and then you know yeah. they go back east but he or wherever. Your take on it? Yeah, yeah. No, take. we got yeah. along great. Yeah, we really had a good time. Yeah, I love your crying and begging. Yeah, <laughs> and that's you added all that. Yeah, yeah. And I added a little line at the end where I said, "I guess I fucked up," <laughs> <laughs> and David really liked it. But did it make it in? It didn't. It didn't make it, didn't it in. Make but it, no, but it, yeah, I had him laughing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what of your improvs have made it into films or TV? Oh, God, a lot of stuff. I did a lot of stuff in Showgirls that I rewrote my dialogue, which I never tell anybody. And nobody, you know, the script girl's like, what's going on here? But unless you tell them, or, you know, another trick I do. Verhoeven was okay another, with it. Yeah, he he didn't care. Because as long as it sounds natural and sounds a little bit like what you're supposed to say, then they're fine with it. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't you know, write myself a new monologue. I just like tweak, tweak it, make it a little bit better, make it a little funnier, you know, just make the material work a little better. But what I would do is I would sneak my changes over to the script girl when Paul wasn't around, when he was nowhere to be found when he was like off doing something and she's sitting there alone. And I would just go around and go, I'm just going to, these are my changes. And I would just, you know, show her my script. I'm just going to change this and this word. And I'm going to cut this. That's kind of a luxurious thing, man. It has to show a set of chops to be able to do that on a set. And then that they're, and the the director nods and goes, let him do it. The cool part is that I've never had, I've maybe had one that, you know, didn't know what I was talking about, but most of them would go, Oh, okay. I guess this is the way professional acting works. <laughs> they didn't know the difference. It was yeah. like, oh, he's giving me his changes. Oh, okay, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this is you how know? they do it in America. Yeah, right? this is the way. Yeah, uh, and they just go along that. with it, and you know, nobody knows the difference. Well, other people were changing. Dobby would change stuff up a little bit. Yeah, right? a little bit. You know, the thing about it is, is most directors. I mean, you're there to give them something. And they don't know what they want. When, when sometimes I, they do. Sometimes. Well, like certainly. David Lynch, yes, he's a detail freak. But in the overall spectrum of things, he wants somebody to give him something. He wants to see the actor deliver something that he doesn't know what it is, but it's something, you know. And that's yeah. what most directors want. They want you to show them something they haven't thought about or haven't. It's a balancing act. You know? It's 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 a balance between those two of giving yeah. them the. And a lot of times they'll say, "Well, give me a take for me." Yeah. And do your thing. Right. And then right. they'll look at it in dailies and figure it out. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. 
It still astounds me. <clears throat> well, and then, and then a lot of times, you know, you get these guys that uh, just want to do one or two takes and move on because they're sure. not comfortable. They they think that as long as they've got something, that that's it. That's what filmmaking is all about. Yeah. But that's not it. Yeah, and sometimes you can do the other direction is too many takes, thinking yeah, that the magic is on the twenty fifth take. Happens yeah, because yeah. You know, you're under Vi- the gun. But video sometimes on a film you can do it because it's just a chip. You've downloaded it, and it's already a blank chip again in back of the camera. Right. Well, it definitely makes it easier not to have to run film. You know, uh, digital is water. You know, you can just you know shoot all day long. But what I'm talking about is just. You've got to like direct yourself and make sure that what you give them on those one or two or three takes is good for you and works for you and is what you want to do. Don't be looking for their advice or for their, you know, direction. Well, so I'd say unless they're directing you. Uh, and they're looking, they're, a lot of times, times they don't direct you. Yeah, you by the time you're there, and they by don't the time direct you're there, you anymore. they figure you know what you're doing by yeah. the time they hired you. Yeah. So that they don't have they to micromanage you. They got enough to do. Don't know what you're doing. Right, right, right. You know, yeah, that's right. when they have to step in and right. go, gee, you know, uh, could we try it a little sure. bis- l- less stiff? Uh. <laughs> uh, more as that character? Right, yeah. More natural. <laughs> I, when I was working with Toby Hooper, I was rehearsing this one scene and I was, you know, when you're rehearsing, you're kind of like, you're just finding your places where you're going to stay, you're blocking, and you're kind of like just, you know, saying the lines out loud, not really the way you're going to do them, but real stiff, and like you're trying to find things. You're just working with the material and trying to like put it all together. And then when you go to shoot it, it all comes down, it all becomes natural, and you just throw all that shit away and and let it, you know, sort of wash over you and forget it all, you know? Right, exactly. And so he was just seeing the rehearsal, and he was like, Ah, oh, Greg, ah, oh, gee, uh, don't act. <laughs> you don't have to act. And I'm like, Toby, 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 don't worry. I got, you know, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm just getting ready. It's just a rehearsal process. Ah, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> a little more blood on his face as he uh, walks over there. A little more... And get some black stuff to put in his mouth. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, but don't overact. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I yeah, I love Toby. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. And uh, I did uh, uh, amazing stories. With, oh, you yeah, That's right. Yeah, um, that's right. Miss Universe with uh, uh, Dick Sean and Weird Al. Oh wow, Dick Sean and Weird Al. How was Dick to work with? He was wonderful. Yeah, nice man on the set. Very cool guy. I loved his show, The Second Greatest Entertainer. Second Greatest Entertainer. of all time or yeah. something like that. He did yeah. this one-man show that was just amazing. He was such a good good comedian. Yeah. Oh, so, so, so actual hip. The kind yeah. of hip that endures generations passing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, imagine. I wonder if that's on tape or something. That's I mean, a great question. I'm yeah. going to look and see. I, I, I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you had a one-man show. I had a couple, uh, I had a rock and roll comedy show, and then I tried the jazz era with the Lord Buckley. and the- Did a great Lord Buckley, man. For you guys that don't know who Lord Buckley is, Lord Buckley was like Lenny Bruce's hero and yeah. George Carlin's hero. This back is the, the guy 40s. before the guy before the guy. Yeah, back in the 40s and 50s, he was the guy. A beat poet before there was beat poetry, mm-hmm. uh, sending unbelievably spiritually realized hip messages out in a comedy format. He would take the 
Bible stories and turn them into like hip, hip poetry uh, monologues and uh, also did the Gettysburg Address and uh, did a lot of talked about Lincoln, talked about all the classical figures in history. And he had been a Vegas comic for about the first part of his life. And he, you know, a Vegas lounge comic where he did a hypnotist act and he did all these kind of things. And then he changed his whole thing. He went to San Francisco and started working the jazz clubs in San Francisco right. and changed his whole attitude and look. Early fifties, yeah, late forties. Yeah, in the fifties, and became Lord Buckley. And that's with the pith helmet and the, the pointy mustache, yeah. like an RAF pilot. Or he would wear the t- tie and tails, oh, tie and come out like a lord, like an English lord. Right. Yeah. And whereas Irwin would come out as the professor version of that. Right. And the the more raggedy looking, right. scattered, frizz hair <laughs> yeah. version of that. Yeah, right? the nutty Irwin professor. Corey, right? Yeah. Um, who's also still with us and a social conscience voice in his 90s and doing charity now. Yeah. Yeah, he's a menchy good guy. Um, who, are, who are some of your heroes besides these guys? Um. Well, I always admired, uh, you know, uh, great actors like Marlon Brando and Peter O'Toole and Jack Nicholson, and Sean Connery, uh, filmmakers, of course, who's Orson Welles, John Huston, Stanley Kubrick, Altman, Altman, um, John Cassavetes is a big yeah, one. Right, right, right. Um, real strong individual voices I'm extracted to, you know, real strong characters, all those guys. I mean, uh, Peter O'Toole and Marlon Brando, they may not have turned in the greatest performances, but they always had a very strong voice in the film. They almost overpowered the material, you know, with their characters. And you, you just learn so much from watching those guys, you know, and studying their work. And, uh, what do you think of Fassbender? Some people are comparing him to the new O'Toole. I especially like since, work. uh, Prometheus when he's actually doing an impression. Yeah, a little bit, and uh, and you know his work in Twelve Years a Slave was amazing too. Unbelievably yeah, great work yeah. from him. So brave. I I went to a screening where they were all there, and I got oh, to say wow. hi to him. And yeah, yeah, he's not as tall as I thought he was. I thought he was like six two or something, but he's not. He's like he's about five eight or something. But yeah, uh, yeah real nice. Everybody's really you know real friendly and um, real warm. Yeah, and really real sharp. A uh, real intelligent actor. Well, uh, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, who's knocking you out these days? What's a film that just knocked you out? Did you love Birdman? Uh, I did like Birdman. I. Uh, you love innovative things in film. I do. I. I. I don't know what is knocking me out. What is one of my favorite? You know, I like Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, yeah. I I really did. I mean, I thought it was a lot of fun, and you know, kind of the new Star Wars type thing, and. I really got a kick out of it. I, I, that Star was like Wars. my favorite film of last year, I think, you know? Yeah. The new Star Wars. Wow. Could be. I, mean, I think Do you think so. they'll build a franchise around oh, it? yeah. Big Toys time. and the whole things and... Uh, big time. I think you might be right. It yeah. did kind of have that opening, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it had the fun and the adventure and the uh, the attitude. Most science fiction is very dark and kind of creepy, but this one, you know, it had that light. This is up there... Without being a send-up the way Galaxy Quest was, it was getting Galaxy Quest-level laughs mm-hmm. from the fans, who were yeah. pretty fussy about some stuff, I'd have to say. Oh, yeah. They're a little choosy. And this thing crushed it, so that was pretty impressive. Yeah, I think it did as well as... I mean, it may not have made as much money as Star Wars, but it, it certainly was as entertaining and uh, as fun. I think for the amount of time of, it's been out, yeah, it's almost caught up in some ways. Maybe, maybe. 
I think they're in the billions now. I don't know. My, my, or the multiple hundreds of millions. I liked it better than uh, Avatar. Wow. Yeah. That was a pretty big hit. Yeah. That there's, they're coming out with two more of those, right? I think so. Right. Down in mm-hmm. New Zealand, I think they'll be making those in New Zealand. Yeah. And it's funny. Yeah. I helped sell motion capture. You did it early on. Well, I have the earlier prototype suits. Of yeah. Me and Tom Kenny and yeah. uh, Bobcat. Yeah. That's right. So where do you think... All this is going? Film is headed... I think it's going to continue to grow the big box office, uh, you know, tentpole movies, they call them, uh, like the Avatars and, and the 100 million, 200 million are going to continue to be made. And because they do make money and they make money worldwide, they put them out all over the world at the same time. But I think there's still going to be a, a growing need for independent cinema that is personal stories about real people. It's never been easier to shoot one of those. It's easier to shoot. It's cheaper to shoot. The problem is getting it out there, distributing those films so that the audience... Right now, we're in this weird limbo land between DVD dying, cable dying, and digital becoming taking over everything. You know, So we're in sort of this weird middle ground. Yeah. The Twilight Zone. So to speak. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's like... 1917 or 18 in Hollywood right now <laughs> with all new technology yeah. and everything reinventing itself. And if you're here and can make it into the mid to late 20s, you might be okay. Uh, well, the problem is without a hard built. item, without a hard item, it's hard to search for things. So they haven't quite got that worked out yet. In other words, if you go into a video store, or a DVD store, or CD store, if there are any, if you still got them in your town, and you, yeah, and there's they're they're wow. gone, but there's still some. You can shop around, you can look around and find something you may or may not have uh, thought that you wanted. Right. But if you go online, you've got to know what you want. You've got to search exactly for that. And it's getting them to know that they want to look for it is the whole trick, then. Yeah. So you've got to get the word out, mm. and many many times in order to get people to. Uh, to search midlife, 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 midlife. midlife. <laughs> iTunes, iTunes, iTunes. Midlife. Greg Travis. Uh, yeah, and so uh, social media, I guess, is where you take over, and it's your hands typing and sharing and letting word of mouth sort of viral it out from there, right? Right. I mean, I guess you know, I would like to see cable stick around, and I would love to see DVD and Blu-ray stick around, and I think it will for a long time. I don't think cable sticking around. I don't know about cable, but. Um, I think they're going to merge cable with, uh, you know, with digital eventually. You know, I think it's merging because I mean, it's Apple TV and is sort of what that is. It's already, you know, kind of this genie doesn't return to the bottle. It's not going to go back to that anymore. I think no. we're watching it hemorrhage out, like that knife cut in the bottom of the rice bag, and that rice bag is just draining out long trail of people just yeah. going to you know time warner with cable boxes in their hands yeah, cuz they all got a lot, roku now a lot of the youth don't even have cable anymore you know that's it and mm-hmm. uh and our market and they they're not really doing anybody any giant favors uh in cable by making it instantly available everywhere else 
even their own companies know we got to ditch this old format. They're now making their stuff available on uh, Apple TV, and you can buy an entire season. Their own website, their own websites, and everything. Yeah, else. that's it. It's killing the other thing. Yeah. So, and you have to think in terms of how your film will be downloaded by how you live in almost completely that world and not the other one. Mm-hmm. No one's going on a shelf and looking at a solid item anymore. I know. I know. And that's the thing. Even though it's almost still necessary to sell it in the DVD format, I still am going to put it out in the DVD format. And there's still stores that do sell still, you know, very, uh, uh, a lot of uh, DVDs. Oh, Vidiots or... uh, Vidiots is closing. Oh, really? Yeah, the Santa Monica Vidiots is going up. The institution of Vidiots is going up. Well, what does that tell you? That tells you it's almost gone. Yeah, man. But we're still here. We are. A couple of old surviving sons of bitches, like Papillon on a sack of coconuts (laughs) paddling from that tropical island. (laughs) I'm still here, you (laughs) bastards. We're we're fighting the good fight, I would say. Because it's not a normal market anymore. And to stay here, when so much of what you have done in previous years... The way you do it, you show up, the thing isn't there anymore. You go to the club, the club isn't there anymore. Yeah. You, you go to the, for the audition, the well, work that... isn't here, the film parts aren't here anymore. You've got to be local hire in Atlanta now, and yet you can still live here and stay here. I think there's something really, like, to speaks of the endurance and the inventiveness and the versatility of someone who can do that, because you've got to be versatile. You have to be yeah. ten things now to stay in one town. That's right. That's why I've always tried to reinvent myself as a comic and then actor and now filmmaker. In order to stay in the game and uh, stay competitive. And, uh, you know, I still do a little bit of comedy, not much anymore, but I still am acting in films and do about four or five a year and, uh, you know, try to stay busy as an actor. And You are. And then, uh, you know, always developing scripts and films to try to make as a filmmaker. And uh, I think you have to do that. The only way out of the dark ages is to be a renaissance guy. That's it. That's hey, it. Greg Travis, thanks for being on Overview, Thank man. Thank you Guys, so much. Check out Midlife on iTunes. Greg Travis's very fun, interesting, and engaging film. And I look forward to talking with you next time. Thank you very much for being on Overview, GT. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.